This is episode 299 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Raised Bed Garden, Where to Put It, and What to Do When a Group Member Goes Missing. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. It's time to finally advance your preparedness goals. Get the ebook and join the forums. Go to microbiz.biz or the prepperwebsitepodcast.com for more information. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You.com. And the title of the article is Raised Bed Garden, Where to Put It. Now, down here where I live, uh, we're you know full blown, have stuff in the ground, although we've had some really cool. Uh, mornings uh, cooler than normal. Uh, I know some of you guys up north, man, y'all are just getting out of the cold and and uh, like really, you know, cold and snow and frost. And, and so you're barely putting some stuff into the ground here, hopefully. Uh, and uh, hopefully you don't have any more frost up there. But if you seem to be in a situation where you're ready to, to start a garden or you have uh, some time to go ahead and, and uh, start a raised bed garden, that's kind of the way to go if you're, if you're kind of starting out and maybe start out small. But here's some good information and good ideas to, uh, to start with. And so let's go ahead and start reading. If you've read much here at 3BY, it won't surprise you here to hear that Salty and I think gardens are a real valuable prep for many kinds of emergencies. Raised bed gardens are particularly productive, being filled with good soil with no weed seeds. That good soil solves one big garden problem, but plants like their habitats just right. So there are still some things to think about before you plunk one down just anywhere. So what do the plants need and how does it impact sitting? The sun, that's the energy source, so all plants need some. Many like full sun, that's six to eight hours of direct per day. Others actually get into a non-productive energy cycle, photosynthetically spinning their wheels if they get too much sun. Some use high light levels as a signal to bolt. The leaves get bitter and quit growing while the plant concentrates on making seed. How do you know which plant have which needs? Read the packages. Spring and fall crops don't do well in full sun and practice. Here's a pro tip. If you're building the garden fairly early in spring or late in winter, Think about how sun angle changes in prime garden time and plan for that. A bed that gets a lot of sun in the spring and fall but is shaded for more of the day as the sun rises higher in the sky is a nice place to plant things like lettuce and spinach and radishes. Water. This is no problem if you're watering from city water and a hose, but being a prepper, thinking about gravity feed from water collection is a great idea. I built my raised beds before we got to build our roof water collection system or the drip irrigation to take it to the garden beds. As a result, I've got one raised bed, fortunately small, that is uphill when the water barrels get low. 
feel free to learn from my error and put the garden below wherever your water collection might be if possible. Also, very long hoses create drag that makes water delivery hard, so close, closer to the water source is better. If you want some thoughts on actually building one of those drip systems, here you go. And so there is a link here to an article that's entitled Installing Drip Irrigation. All right, so uh, just really quick, two things that uh, have already been mentioned. Like learn from my mistakes and uh, you know errors and stuff that have been done beforehand. And that's one reason why in the preparedness community you always hear people talk about you know, those garden seeds, you can't just stock garden seeds or that garden vault or, or something like that. And then when the poop hits the fan, decide to go out there and start gardening and everything is going to be great because you will have trial and error periods. And not only with where you put water and where you put your, your, your beds, your garden beds or where you decide to start the garden, but you're going to have just learning experiences from seeds and and so I want to make a mention of some of that here at the at the very end or just an idea that I think that if you're starting to garden or or you're fairly new into it just an idea that I, I wish I would have done when I started gardening but definitely uh, you know you got to understand that there if you're new to it there's going to be a trial and error period and that's why you need to get some experience behind you and that's why you always hear about gardening in preparedness and how that's very important. You just you need to get that uh, that experience in there, right? All right, so uh, let's go ahead and continue moving. Soil depth. Here's another mistake you don't want to follow in my footsteps about. See a trend here? Errors are great teachers. It's why I am such a strong believer in practice. I didn't think that was under my raised beds because, hey, they're raised after all. I'm putting the dirt I'm planting in above ground level. That means I don't have to dig, thought Spice. Wrong, but thanks for playing. Well, half wrong. This reasoning works for shallow-rooted crops, you know, like the ones I now plant every year over the bed I placed right over the line that runs from the propane tank to the house. I'd like to have more flexibility in that bed because crop rotation is good for plant growth and parasite suppression. But nope, not in that particular bed. What I hadn't considered is that while almost everything is planted in the top 8 inches of soil, some don't grow properly if they can't push their roots deeper, which is hard in undug soil, and others can't be harvested if you can't dig more than a few inches down. I'll tell you, I've put pulled some really funky looking carrots out of beds that were never dug below ground level. Vigorous and fat in the added topsoil, stopping abruptly where the ground got hard like little barrels. The root crops like potatoes, carrots, and beets can't be harvested properly even if they will force their way into the hard soil if you don't dare stick a shovel in there. Don't know what's underneath the area where you want to place the beds? Here's a post we made on how to find out and some other reasons to know what's under your bed. And so that title of this article is Know What's Underneath. Uh, know What's Underneath. Preppers need to know where their cables and gas lines run. And guys, that's uh, definitely an article to go check out because if you hit a gas line, you are talking about some major bucks. And uh, you know, just doing something like your cable line, a lot of the times the cable company will come and run another one. Sometimes, depending on who you are or, or which cable company you're with, uh, they might charge you 
but definitely like you hit a phone line, oh, they're going to charge you for that as well. So definitely you need to know where, where the lines are when you are, uh, when you are doing, you know, any kind of digging in your backyard. All right, moving right along, freedom from harassment. Who would harass your innocent plants? Well, okay, you will at the right time of the season, but not until then. Who else? Homeowners associations or other community-based controls like municipal regulations. For some insane reason, some people are offended by plants that have a function in addition to being pretty. Some places regulate if you have a garden at all. Others limit them to out-of-sight areas like backyards. Know your local regs so you don't have to tear down a garden mid-season. If there are such regulations, there are ways to stay within their bounds, at least in spirit, and still get some food, but that's another post. And then there's the competitors for the water and light. Some plants do not work and play well with others. In fact, plants are the original grandmasters of chemical warfare. Some species make toxins that their roots release into the soil that inhibit many other species. Walnut trees are our local problem children for this here in Missouri. Look around at nearby trees and give them a quick duck-duck-go search. And then they have uh, in brackets here, the species names inhibits and then in quotations uh, work for me. So that's just a, a way to search there. Raised bed gardens are no fun to move. So it's best to think them through before building them. But not think far too long. An imperfect choice that's built is more effective than a perfect plan. And I, I will uh, agree there. Uh, sometimes you do need to move uh, a garden bed. I know that I have. Uh, and uh, luckily I have uh, you know some, some boys that will help me uh, do that. But that was uh, something that was done. So you can do it. But just know that you know it's going to be a lot of work. And so you need to think about how you're going to do it. The thing that I wanted to end with this on on uh, this gardening one is if you are starting out or maybe if you are maybe one or two years into it, it would be a great idea to keep a journal, uh, a journal of, you know, your your experiences, where you planted things, uh, even kind of documenting the sun. Like, you know, uh, you might not even really think about it, but the uh, your fencing might cause more shade on your garden or on your raised beds or for, for that sake for your in your garden you know depending on you know what kind of uh, beds you have if you're not if you're not really thinking about that it could cause some problems there or maybe your your house could uh, throw more shade than you realize there you could do some experimentation with watering you can do some you know uh, again you're marking down the crops so you can do some uh, crop rotation uh, as the season goes, you might want to do a little bit of uh, just marking down how big uh, certain plants get, how uh, you know which plants do well or, or which vegetables do well in your soil and in which uh, you know which bed. You might want to write down things like how much uh, vegetables you actually got from a certain plant, right? And uh, how long into the year that it went, and just you know some different data pieces where you can, you know, make some informed decisions. And then after a while, you get to know things and you get to, you know, really uh, go by feel. But it's a, it's a great idea to be able to write some things down in a journal and have that. And then for whatever reason, uh, let's just say that we are in a, a grid down situation, a long-term situation. 
If something was to happen to you and you were taking notes and then you were able to pass that information on to someone else, that would be very valuable information for someone who was coming behind you or who needed to step in because you were sick or unable to get to to the garden. And so, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, think about that little piece of advice there. All right. So again, guys, that's over at Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You.com. And like always, I'm going to link to this uh, article in the show notes and you can go straight to it. And there's two articles here that I think are very interesting if you are into gardening that you might want to go ahead and go check out. And then, of course, there's some pictures here as well. All right. Our next article comes to us from PreppersWill.com. And the article is entitled, What to Do When a Group Member Goes Missing. And guys, that's got to be the, the just the ugliest feeling in the world is to be out there in the woods and then have someone that you're with go missing. And, uh, you know, start panicking because of that. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, when you head out into the woods, everyone has fun. But everyone also understands, you know, some basic some basic things and, and some, uh, you know, some basic ways to uh, deal with a situation like uh, being lost. Most of this stuff is going to apply to being lost out in the, you know, the wilderness or in the wild. But there are just some real good lessons here to learn uh, regardless. So let's go ahead and start reading. It is definitely important to understand how to survive if you've ever find yourself lost or stranded and all alone but have to put much thought in what you do if your buddy or a group member goes missing and doesn't return to the car or camp when expected. Being the preppers that we are, if we find ourselves as a part of a group, whether as a camping group or as several surviving passengers of a crashed jet awaiting rescue, it is immensely important that we plan ahead for the moment that someone may go missing. Try to resist the instant urge to start your own Search for a missing person if professional help is nearby. They are skilled professionals with much experience in such situations. Before you go, as a group, immediately create a procedure for each member to let everyone know specifically where they are going and how long they plan to be gone. In the game plan should be the agreement that once they realize they are lost, the members should simply sit tight. It will be much easier to be found if you just stay put. The further you get off track, the harder it will be for help to find you. This strategy should be stressed abundantly. Another important strategy to follow, if possible, is to have each member carry a map of the area, a compass, a straight blade knife, and a personal survival kit. And I would say, guys, if that was, you know, if you were going out uh, camping or you were going out hiking, that that should be one of those things that everybody uh, just, you know, just has um, regardless, you know. All right, moving on. Before setting up out on the grand adventure, you and the bros have conjured up. Be sure to talk about any medical conditions any members may have. Pay attention to and remember the clothes that each member is wearing, the color of their shirt, style of their boots, and the state of mind that they appear to be in. This information could potentially save a lost one's life and is as good as gold to the search officials who will take over the rescue. The moment that you realize that a person is officially missing is the most vital time in a lost hiker scenario. The number one thing to remember upon finding a member missing is to keep your cool. Keep a level head. 
losing your cool will inescapably lead you to irrational, foolish thinking. Signaling. Signaling is the next most important skill or part of the entire search situation. To effectively signal to your lost companion, first pick the most sensible place and blow a whistle. That should be in all personal survival kits. Or blow the automobile's horn. At a minimum, this will help the lost party to recognize that they are being looked for. If they are relatively close, as is often the case, they can walk towards the sound. This form of signaling should be done in one single spot, the most logical, so as not to confuse the lost party. Call it the homing location. A set whistle signal system is a help. There are lots of ways to do this. Morse code is the most standard. Everyone should know SOS. Whistles can be almost useless in a dense forest, though, but they at least give most campers a sense of security, that they have someone somewhere that is interested in their safety. It really helps if you are hurt to know someone is out there. Make sure to let out long consecutive three-will-probably-do burst. This will help to make it known that it is a signal. After three bursts, allow a silent pause to listen for a return signal. If no return signal is heard, and the collective thought is that the person is truly lost and may be in trouble, the best bet is to reach out to a local ranger, police officer, or conservation officer. They will have been trained for or know the proper connections who do know exactly what to do. If you are forced into leaving the homing location, leave someone there to continue the signaling. It is a known fact that attempting to set up your own search for a lost member, in most cases, is an atrocious idea. People have no training whatsoever but do have good intentions, typically do more harm than good. More often than not, they become lost themselves. Or worse, they also risk annihilating useful clues that could have been used to find the original lost member. Now, on a different note. In certain circumstances, fellow group members may be forced by nature of the scenario to conduct a search themselves. In the case of these exceptions, there are some certain tactics to follow. First and foremost, gather the remaining group and lay down a game plan of sorts. Identify any clues that each member may have noticed. Second, it is necessary now to place one single person in charge as the group leader and each other member must agree and listen at all times. This is very important in order to hold order and keep the search safe and procedure-oriented. Always leave someone at the original place, the homing location, that everyone was to continue signaling the same way as before in series of three bursts at a time with a pause for return. Gathering any information about the lost individual, as mentioned earlier, most particularly any health-related considerations. Knowing this information out of the gate may be sufficient enough reason to get serious help involved sooner than later, if possible at all. As the search begins, each member must be careful not to destroy any signs or clues left by the lost companion. Keep a sharp eye out for these signals such as tracks, broken brush branches, snapped sticks on a path or off trail, or in some situations, a blood trail. These signs will continue to denote the missing member's course of travel. And always keep in mind the mission to find the missing party member not to become lost yourself. Always take the time to mark the trail as you go. 
This will ensure whether the original mission is a success or failure. You can follow your path back out in order to seek more help. Check out the map and identify any potential off-trail accident-prone zones such as steep riverbanks, stream crossings, cliffs, and steep slopes. If you have a small group of stable searchers, you need to concentrate on these potential accident locations as soon as possible. Listen for any sounds the missing person may be hearing from where they are. Railroads, industrial plants, highways, etc. Often a scared missing person may try to make their way to these sounds rather than simply sitting still. Have a set of binoculars to use in the case that there are big open spaces that the missing may be crossing, such as an electric line pathway, large fields, or a straight section of railroad. Always have a special signal and specific time for the calling off of the search. The method of a self-search, one being without the assistance of an authority, should only be used as a very short-term solution. And so these are, here are some, uh, and I'm, I'm prefacing this because in the comments someone, I guess, was a little confused. But here's just some rules uh, to maintain as you go out hiking and camping and stuff. Number one rule to always follow. Have a game plan before the group ever heads out, if this is possible. A leader is selected in the beginning, typically being the most experienced. The leader selects the slowest and the least experienced hikers in the group to be in front. The leader actually should be bringing up the rear and not be in front. If you're worried about the ones in front getting lost, then sandwich them with one experienced member in front, the leader at the rear, and the rest in the middle. It also builds confidence and trains those with few skills. These methods are used by the military while on combat patrols. Also, a leader never lets any one member of the group lag behind to catch up for any reason whatsoever. It simply shouldn't happen. And the number two rule to always follow is the need for everyone to communicate early and often and to never assume someone else knows what you are doing and never assume you know what someone else is doing. Obviously, no one ever plans on getting lost. It is simply one of those scenarios that life hands over at random times. Being prepared, as always, is the case, is the only way to combat and successfully overtake a situation like the ones described above. Stay smart and stay ahead. All right, guys. You know, there's been articles that I have written on uh, on news articles that I have read. Uh, you know, just kind of bouncing off of those news articles where people have gotten lost in the woods, and you know, it's, it's just a simple little things could have really helped them. Uh, yeah, and I referred to this one. You know, if you've been following the podcast for a while. Uh, you know, I've, I mentioned this one before, but you know, there was a father and son team, and they went out camping, and uh, they were going to take this small trail. They were going to—it was a day hike, and uh, they took a wrong turn, and they wound up going on a hike that was uh, a really long one. And by the time they realized it, they were—they uh, were kind of lost. And now, for whatever reason, on this specific trail, there was places where they would, uh, because they knew people would get lost here. They left boxes of food, and so people could go and and they can do that. But it was one of those days where it was really really cold, and it dropped. The temperatures dropped, and so the people that were uh, searching for them, that they, they believed it was going to be a rescue mission because it was so cold that you know nobody would have been able to survive out there. But uh, the, the dad made a shelter. He and the, the son made a shelter, and when they asked you know the guy how to. Uh, 
you know, how, how did you uh, learn to, to make a shelter like that? He's like, I found it you know, off the television, right? Off of watching some of these, these uh, shows, you know, these survival shows or whatever. And so uh, I guess they pay off a little bit there. But he could have done some, some simple things as far as, uh, you know, leaving some notes on uh, back at the camp on in his car or whatever. Because when they went searching for him, when he didn't show up or he he didn't call his wife, his wife got worried and started, you know, contacting people and, and uh, they, they eventually found him. Uh, there was another situation where uh, actually this was like a ranger who got lost and, and she wound up taking a, a trail and uh, she hurt her ankle and fell. And, uh, you know, she got, she wound up getting lost and, and, or at least they couldn't find her. And uh, they were, you know, she, she survived, but, you know, she wasn't exactly where they thought she was going to be. And if, again, if she would have just told people where she was going and where she was heading, that that would have really uh, saved her a lot, you know, um, and not have to uh, to be out there in the wilderness spending nights out there. I think she hurt her leg to where she couldn't move, if I remember correctly. But uh, there's just some things that you do. You know, you don't always think about those things when you go out there. You're not thinking that the worst can happen, but you just need to start, you know, uh, thinking through some of those and and you know it's always better before something happens right so you gather everyone and and before you go hiking or before you go camping and say guys look let's just uh let's just set some ground rules here or let's just uh, put some things into play and you make sure that everyone is listening and everyone is paying attention and maybe everyone's able to tell you back in response you know some of the things that you 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 know that you like just guys, I'm trying to be proactive here just in case. I'm not expecting anyone to get lost or I'm not expecting anyone to whatever, right? But just in case, let's go through a couple of uh, scenarios. Let's go through a couple of things that we should be doing just in case something like this happens. And then you just lay it out there and uh, get, you know, that that would save so many, so, you know, so many problems out there, just getting people to think about uh, these things as they go out there, and then that way everyone can have fun, and uh, you know your your trip out into the woods doesn't turn out to be a negative one. So, guys, that's over at Prepper's Will again. The title is "What to Do When a Group Member Goes Missing." Well, all right, guys, that's it for episode two hundred and ninety-nine. Hey, if you haven't checked out the Preparedness Community's Guide to a Micro Biz and Increasing Your Finances. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say you want to do that. I've linked to it in the show notes, and you can come over to the Prepper Website podcast and get a little bit more information. Uh, I'm having a great time seeing the activity in the forums and people, you know, responding and 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 leaving important information. The thing, the thing about this is that I know this information. First of all, it's in a forum. You know, it's easy to find. It's not like in a Facebook group where you post something and then you know someone posted it before because you saw it, but it's so far down that you got to scroll. You know, this stuff is just laid out and it's, you know, it's just organized. And so, you know, not only, you know, the ebook, but the forums and, you know, I just, I'm really excited about what's going on over there. And so I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to challenge you to come on over to the Prepper Website Podcast and take a look at, uh, you know, what's, what's there and see if you want to buy into the ebook and also the forums. Remember the forums. Not only do you have the the uh, you know the advice and the micro biz section and the forums there, but you also have the preparedness forums. Uh, you know that you can be a part of there 
as two. So, guys, that's over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. All right, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.